Hello and welcome to the Spring Church audio blog. My name is Matt McCoy and I'm the pastor at Spring Church. Just by way of reminder, this audio blog is part of an email we call uh, First Look Friday, where we send out uh, this blog. The target audience is a well-educated Christian, and it serves two functions. One, it lets the wider community know what we are studying together at Spring Church, and also it's specifically designed to help somebody come to Spring Church prepared for what we are going to be exploring together as a part of our worship services. If uh, you, it's kind of like uh, doing the reading before going to a college class. B- because our diverse community has a wide range of uh, not only mental health challenges and mental health abilities, and uh, a wide range of experience with the Christian gospel and a Christian story, we have lots of people that come that aren't Christian, have no connection to the church, so our our services tend to be very accessible to somebody at an introductory level. And I use this blog as an opportunity to dive in a little bit deeper to some of the themes that we were talking about together. Uh, we also send a video with that. We usually shoot about a, a one to two minute video. And the target audience for the video is somebody who doesn't know anything about the Christian story. It's a way that I can help tell the story of what it is we're doing to a, a more broad audience and also help you learn how to talk about your faith with somebody who's not a Christian by using words and terms that would be familiar to someone who has not had any experience or participation in church life before. So without further ado, I'll take us into this week's blog, When the Outcome is Far From Certain. The question I'd like for us to consider is this. In the midst of life's challenges, how do we prepare room for God to walk with us? And to explore that question, I'd like to start this blog with a Christmas song. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. So now I know I'll be humming this tune, and I wonder how many people realize I'm humming a Christmas tune in, in September. I promise I'm not trying to contribute to the Christmas creep of having Christmas on displays and all the big box stores while it still feels like summer outside. So just stay with me. Now that we've got this tune stuck on our heads for the rest of the day, let me make an observation of how the song imagines we participate in the coming of the kingdom of God. We prepare room in our hearts for King Jesus. We prepare room. We've explored this together last Advent, and we'll explore it again this coming Advent. And uh, if you got time, I'd encourage you to reread our Advent in a Barn blog post from last year, there's a link in the blog there if you need help finding it. It's also up on our website. Uh, but just in case you don't have time to go check that out, I'll highlight uh, two things here. First of all, we last Advent, we read Isaiah 40 and how we're called to go into the desert places, remembering that the desert can often be an image for the broken places in our lives, where life's challenges are especially poignant. And we prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. And again, I'd encourage you to go check out that blog because it has that 
beautiful graphic that highlights the, the scripture of Isaiah 40 alongside our responses for how we do that. And also, Jesus fills the spaces where there's room for him to fill. There was no room for him in the inn or in the temple or in the palace, but there was room for him in a barn. God doesn't force, cajole, or demand that we do anything. Rather, God invites, woos, and calls us to walk with him, and he fills the spaces where there's room. So while it's on our nature and our culture to want to be alone when life feels broken, these songs and these scriptures invite us to imagine preparing room within community. So let's hold on to this Advent theme of preparing room as we return to our story of Abigail. In the midst of a life-and-death struggle with an uncertain outcome, Abigail prepared room for God and David. How did she do this? She prepared a meal for David, and she had no idea if it was going to save her life or not. Hannah and Penina ate together, but Hannah didn't know if these things were going to get better. Boaz provided food for Ruth, but Ruth didn't know that was going to happen when she prepared room for them. Preparing room for God to show up while eating together without knowing the outcome ahead of time, just keeps bubbling up in Scripture. But before we read our story again, I'd like to hover over one famous example of preparing room by preparing a meal that David wrote about toward the end of his life. Psalm 23, which is quite possibly the most famous of all the 150 psalms we have in this altar, was written by an older King David after he was established as King of Israel. I don't know if he had his first encounter with Abigail in his mind when he wrote it, but two similarities are beautiful and amazing to me. First, in Psalm 23, verse 4, the psalm walks us through the valley of the shadow of death. And in our story, Abigail sneaks into a canyon. While it's not the same word and Hebrew word in both places, valleys and canyons are pretty similar, don't you think? And then in Psalm 23, 5, the psalm prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. And in the story, Abigail arrives into this canyon with quite a bit of food and wine for the army who intends to kill her, her family, and her servants. That sure sounds like preparing a table in the presence of enemies to me. Preparing room for God to show up in the midst of life's challenges with an uncertain outcome is a big theme of the Christian story. So now, let's read our story together again while we hold this big theme in our imaginations. And even if you've heard this story several times before on, on this audio blog, I'd encourage and resist the temptation to fast forward through it. Let this story of scripture, let these ancient words, God's word, um, bubble up into our ears and our imaginations once more as we think about preparing room for God to show up in the midst of life challenges with an uncertain outcome. So here's the, our story, 1 Samuel 25, verses 1 through 35. Samuel died. All Israel gathered together and mourned over his death, and they buried him in his hometown of Ramah. So David got up and headed out for the wilderness of Paran. There was a certain man in Moan who worked in Carmel. This was a wealthy businessman. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep-shearing time in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. She was very wise and easy on the eyes. He was cruel and mean. His heart had become cynical. And David sent ten of his young men, telling them, Go up to Carmel and approach Nabal. Greet him in my name peacefully, and say to him, Peace to you, peace to your household, and peace to everyone and everything here. So I hear at sheep-shearing time, Now your shepherds that were with us here, we did them no harm, 
And when they were with us in Carmel, they never lost an animal. Ask your young men, and they'll confirm this story. So likewise, let my young men be on the same page, since they came on a holiday. Please give whatever is at hand to your servants and to me, David. So David's young men went and met with Nabal and shared the message on David's behalf. And then they paused. Nabal tore into them, Who is this David, and who is the son of Jesse? These days there are many servants rebelling against their masters. Should I take my bread and wine and prime cuts of meat that I butchered for my shears, and I give all that to these foreigners? Then David's young men turned on their heels and headed back and brought this message, every bit of it, to David. And David replied, Let's do it, boys. Strap on your swords. They all strapped on their swords, following David's lead. About 400 men set out with David, while 200 stayed behind to guard the camp. Meanwhile, one of the young shepherds told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Watch out! David sent messengers out of the back country to bless our boss, and he tore into them with insults. But these men were really kind to us. They did us no harm. Nothing turned up missing the whole time we were alongside them in the fields. They formed a wall around us, both day and night, the whole time we were out there tending the sheep. Do something now, because evil is at our doorstep, both for our master and for all of us, because he's such an arrogant jerk. Nobody can talk sense to him. Abigail flew into action. She took 200 loaves of bread, two jugs of wine, five butchered sheep, nine sacks of roasted grain, a hundred raisin clusters, and 200 fig cakes, and loaded it all into some donkeys. And then she said to her young servants, Go ahead and pave the way for me. I'm right behind you. But she said nothing to her husband, Nabal. As she rode her donkey, she snuck into the canyon where David and his men were descending on the other side, and that's where they met. And David said, It was all for nothing that we guarded this guy's stuff in the wilderness. Nothing was lost from it all. And what does he do? For all the good we did, he pays us back with evil. I would rather God crush me than me miss my opportunity to crush every one of those pricks by morning. As soon as Abigail saw David... She quickly hopped off her donkey and fell on her knees at his feet. And she bowed low, grabbed at his feet, and pleaded, Mine, my master, put the blame on me. Please let me speak to you and listen to my side of the story. Master, please don't take to heart anything this worthless fool did. As his name is, so he is. Nabal, fool. He's an open sewer of foolishness. For my part, I didn't see any of those servants you sent. And now, my master, as the Lord lives and as you live, the Lord who kept you from trying to save yourself by taking revenge through murder. Now let your enemies and those who seek your harm end up like Nabal. Now take this gift that I, your servant girl, has brought to my master and give it to the young men who are walking in your direction with you. Please forgive the crime of your servant, for the Lord is at work in my master, developing a rule solid and dependable. My master fights God's battles. As long as you live, no evil will stick to you. If anyone stands in your way, if anyone tries to get you out of the way, know this, your God-honored life is tightly bound in the bundle of God-protected life. But the lives of your enemies will be hurled aside as a stone is thrown from a sling. And so, when the Lord does for my master all the good things he has promised you and sets you up as prince over Israel, my master will not have this dead weight in his heart the guilt of trying to take matters into your own hands by revenge through murder. And when the Lord has worked out all this good for my master, remember me. And David said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, 
He sent you to meet me, and blessed be your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and for taking charge of looking out for me. What a close call. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, if you had not come as quickly as you did, stopping me in my tracks, by morning there would have been nothing left of Nabal but dead meat. Then David accepted the gift she had brought him and said, Return home in peace. I've heard what you've said, and I'll do what you've asked. When we don't know the outcome of life's challenges, this story invites us to reflect on how our responses prepare room for God to show up. Nabal, he responded to life's challenges through making himself comfortable rather than walking with God. He wasn't preparing room for God. He didn't prepare room for God to show up. David, he responded to life's challenges through taking control. He didn't prepare room for God to show up either. Abigail could have responded through fleeing, but then there's no room for God to act. Instead, she responded to, to, she responded to life's challenges through all kinds of different things. And I'd, I'd like to read this list of things that Abigail did. And, but as I read this list, what is important for me that you know is that this was, these are things that came up uh, within our community that our people observed as we were entering into this story together and sharing this together a couple of weeks ago. That she responded with peace. She responded with patience. She prioritized others. She listened to God's voice instead of her own voice. She didn't let fear overcome her decision to act. She was trusting in God's timing of justice. She responded with generosity. She prepared room for God in her life, in David's life, even though the outcome was far from certain. So in the midst of life challenges, I want my heart to be captivated by walking with God. However, it's very easy for my heart to be captivated by making my challenges go away, either through taking control or making myself more comfortable. I see this everywhere, but I'll just give two examples. First, as a dad, I want God to show up in my kids' lives, and I know God does all the time. But the outcome of my children's future is far from certain. Will they make good choices for a spouse, for friendships, and for their community? Will they continue to walk in the direction Jesus is walking in? Will they stay in the kingdom of God or pursue a kingdom of their own making? So what do I do with all the uncertainty that these questions bring to the surface? I can try to control my kid's future and act like David, but then I'm not preparing room for God to show up. I can numb myself from that fear, try to make myself more comfortable, but then I'm not preparing room for God to show up. Instead, I hope I pay attention alongside my children to who they're becoming on the way to where they're going and all the countless ways God shows up and cultivates shalom in our midst. When I'm being honest... This theme bubbles up in my relationships with my wife, my extended family, and all of my friendships too. And second, at Spring Church, we want God to show up in our community. And we know God does all the time. But the outcome for Spring Church is far from certain. Will we want to pursue the sort of uncommon friendship we read in the Bible? Will we continue to walk in the direction Jesus is walking in with uncommon friends? Will we stay in the kingdom of God or pursue a kingdom of our own making? So what do we do with all that uncertainty that these questions bring to the surface? We can try to control our future and act like David, but then we're not preparing room for God to show up. We can numb ourselves from that fear and try to make church more comfortable, but then we're not preparing room for God to show up either. Instead, we hope to pay attention, including paying attention to the overlooked people God is using to disciple us, to who are becoming, to who we are, we're paying attention to who we're becoming on the way to where we're going. The countless ways God shows up and cultivates shalom in our midst. When we're being honest, this theme bubbles up in our relationships to our vocation, 
regardless of where our vocation takes us. We're left with remembering that Psalm 23, 5, God prepares a table for us in the midst of our enemies. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Thank you so much. Hope you're able to join us this Sunday. Shalom.